0: Hello and welcome to the Yoga Magic Podcast, friends. I'm your host, Ashley Sondegard. Thanks so much for being here. I'm a longtime yoga teacher and astrologer, a mama of three little girls, and I'm so excited to be talking about this topic today. It's actually something I've never discussed yet on the show after almost 200 episodes. That kind of surprised me, and that is yoga therapy. So I've always been really curious about this modality, about yoga therapy, how it differs from group classes who it benefits, like who might come to it. And I came across today's guest, Megan Foley, through one of my favorite yoga studios here in the Twin Cities, Bluma. And I told Megan before we chatted, I'm so curious about this and I don't really know anything. And Megan really opened my eyes to the many ways that yoga therapy can help people. You know, She's also an Ayurvedic practitioner and we get into so many awesome details on the shifting of the seasons and specific Ayurvedic practices for spring. So Megan Foley weaves yoga philosophy Functional alignment, a deep understanding of anatomy, and lightheartedness into her classes and private sessions. She's a lifelong learner with extensive training in Ayurveda, vinyasa, yin, restorative yoga, prenatal yoga pelvic floor yoga, trauma-informed yoga, yoga therapy, and Pilates. Just to say a few. (laughs) She's immersed herself in many lineages of yoga in order to be able to share the gifts of magic with as many people as possible. You can find her managing Bluma, again, one of my favorite studios here in the Twin Cities, a prenatal yoga center in the Twin Cities, as well as offering weekly classes, private yoga therapy, and Ayurvedic health counseling sessions. So in today's episode, we talk so much. We talk about her journey to yoga therapy after she, her, self got injured. We talk about what yoga therapy is, who it helps, how it can help with things like anxiety, depression, and even infertility. We talk about embracing the seasons with Ayurveda and some specific self-care practices for spring. We go through some awesome Ayurveda morning and evening routines that Megan really loves. We talk about how the heck to oil pull, you know that thing where you like swish oil around in your mouth? We get into the details so you actually know how to do this. And where can you find your dosha? That's your constitution in Ayurveda. How can you figure that out for yourself? I learned so much from Megan and I know you will too. So if yoga therapy is something that you're interested in checking out, Megan is offering $25 off a first time yoga therapy session. So be sure to mention that if you book a session with her. As always, I'm so grateful to you for showing up every week, everybody. Thank you. I'm actually preparing for a short break from the show to work on a few new, very exciting things, but you'll be hearing more about that next week. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, make sure to sign up for the yoga magic newsletter with a link in the show notes so that you can be the first to hear about upcoming events, workshops, special content, all of that goodness. You can follow us at yoga magic podcast on Instagram, and you can follow Megan at Megan Foley yoga. Let's get to this conversation on yoga therapy and Ayurveda for spring. All right. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for taking time today. I'm so excited to learn more about yoga therapy. I admittedly don't know a lot, and you are the person to talk to. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Ashley. I'm happy to be here. We're both in the Twin Cities, which I like. I like talking to people that are like in proximity. We are, we are close, like we we run in the same circles. I've been to Bluma, where you teach, which you co-own. I love it. Can you just tell little listeners more about yourself, about the work that you do and maybe like your journey leading up to today, to who you are now?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I've been teaching yoga for about 10, 12 years, but I've been doing yoga or been in the yoga space since I was about 11 years old. My dad was best friends with a Swami in St. Paul, and this man would wear all orange, and my dad would take me to his classes, and it wasn't necessarily the yoga that I teach today. It was very chill. My dad's a former football player with all these injuries, so it was a lot of <laughs> rolling your wrists and your ankles and then you know a super long shavasana and I remember even as a little kid being like wow I feel so relaxed this is such a cool feeling I can breathe I feel really calm and connected Um, so then in college I got into vinyasa yoga and after college I was in AmeriCorps in Milwaukee and I took my first yoga teacher training And it was this really cool combination of vinyasa flow yoga with yin yoga, which is now my specialty. And I didn't realize how rare that was at the time to have a 200-hour that teaches both yin and yang active practices. Mm -hmm. I got lucky with that. And I was in my early 20s, so I was really into arm balances and handstands and all of just the crazy poses, which are fun, of course, you know, inherently. Um, But also, you can be very injured by doing those mm-hmm. two times or, you know, without proper alignment. So I did end up getting injured and I was devastated. And there were these people who who were in the yoga world in Milwaukee that were a lot older than me who were yoga therapists. And I didn't know what that meant, but I was very intrigued by these people who were practicing yoga into their sixties, seventies, a different type of yoga. And I asked all these questions and I'm like, I think I want to be a yoga therapist. And they were working with people privately based on the conditions that that person had or a small group, you know, it might be yoga therapy in a hospital setting for breast cancer survivors or diabetes or scoliosis. Like there's all these different, um, very, very niche groups that yoga therapists can work with privately. And so I went out to Kripalu, which is this beautiful yoga center in the Berkshire mountains in Massachusetts that You know, if anyone ever gets a chance, I'm always like, go to Kripalu. It's like this yoga haven. It used to be an old ashram. Mm -hmm. And I went there and I lived there. And I went there for about four years consistently, three to four times a year, and learned yoga therapy. And they brought in all these different people from all these different backgrounds, you know, mental health and um, doctors and PTs. And yoga researchers, and the cool thing about being out east too, like they're so close to all of the you know amazing schools that are doing all the great research, you know, Boston Medical and Harvard, and so it was just this really wonderful experience. And then I moved back to Minneapolis, and I have been here the last six seven years, teaching regular weekly yoga classes, and then also seeing private clients for yoga therapy. I also lead a yin yoga teacher training. I manage Bluma prenatal yoga studio in the Twin Cities. Um, and now I'm also seeing people privately for Ayurvedic health consultations, which I know we'll
0: talk about in a little bit too. I love this. And like such a lifelong learner,
1: it sounds like. But yes, I'm an absolute training junkie. I read a couple books <laughs> like I cannot stop buying books and signing up for trainings and I just find everything so fascinating and every time I go to like a new training I learn about all the trainings that I need to go to after that
0: <laughs> you know like I feel like it's the the more you know the less you know almost like your mind and that's how I felt in my like initial teacher training I like my the day we talked through like I don't know I don't even know what concept some the one of the Philosophical concepts, like my mind just blew, and I'm like, I don't think I'll ever learn enough. (laughs) Like this is so cool. Exactly,
1: very rewarding field that I could never get bored in ever.
0: So let's talk a little bit about yoga therapy because you had described it in just the way you're talking, like it's very individualized, and that's what I get from you know I teach. Yoga classes to a group, you teach a yoga class classes to a group, but yoga therapy is more specific to that individual person. Can you talk a little bit about like what it is and what different, you know, why people might come to yoga therapy? What are they working towards? Absolutely. Yeah, so the
1: term yoga therapy is new, but the practice and the concept is as old as yoga. And traditionally in India, there weren't group yoga classes, there weren't yoga studios. You had a guru that you worked with, usually privately. And this guru would know about you, and your life, and your background, and your traumas, and your injuries, and your goals. And we would call that, in today's world, yoga therapy. And you know, you're working privately with they're really meeting you where you are. And they're also using yoga tools to address different things happening in your life. And yoga therapy, every session is so different. So sometimes I meet with people who they have an injury, a physical injury, and we might meet like once or twice and A couple alignment cues of like, hey, like, don't fold like this, you know, fold using your quads and your, you know, core muscles a little bit more. And we can remedy some of those physical injuries. Other times, we never even start moving. You know, it might be, it's not talk Mm -hmm. therapy. We're talking the whole time about different things happening in the mind, the heart, the breath, the spirit. And what's so beautiful about yoga therapy is I have time with people. I hear so often, you know, especially in the Western medical system, you know, clients are getting three, seven minutes, maybe, like with a doctor. Like people are just... Um, you know, so rushed in their appointments. And how can anyone really know you if they're only spending a few time, you know, minutes with you? So with yoga therapy, I have like an hour plus with people, and I see them consistently if they, you know, want to. And it's really beautiful to get to know the whole person and we're never just looking at one aspect. They say in yoga that there's five layers of being, the koshas, and if you feel something in your physical layer that's your outermost layer they say that that means every other layer beneath that has already been affected so your mind mm-hmm. your spirit your breath your energy your bliss body they've already been affected if you have a physical issue happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so with yoga therapy we're just we're coming with that assumption so i could never just treat your knee I'm going to talk about like, how does that make you feel that you can't run anymore? All your friends were in running club. How does that make you feel um, that you can't have that community? How else is this showing up besides just in your knee? You know, your mind. Are you breathing differently? Are you sleeping differently? So we get to talk about all those things in yoga therapy.
0: This is so necessary, and I don't know if you experience. I'm sure you do, uh, since you're a yoga therapist. But like I, as a yoga teacher, feel like people will come to me with their deepest darkest secrets like it's one of those like yoga therapies definitely or rather yoga teachers hold that position of like I'm open and warm and I I want to help you and sometimes I'm like I'm so happy you shared that with me. I don't think I can help you in this yoga class. And like what you're saying really can, right? Like we can get to a little bit deeper into this and as it's showing up in the physical form, like address that. So you're saying it's not just asana that you're doing in these sessions. You might, would you do like breath work or like what are some of the other tools in a session?
1: So just like in yoga teacher trainings with all the different varieties that are out there, you know, some specialize in anatomy, some specialize in pranayama, same with yoga therapy, you're going to find certain yoga mm-hmm. therapy schools that are really, really heavy on learning the actual like medical conditions and learning about functional medicine. You're going to find other yoga therapy schools that are going to be more philosophy driven, more um, mantra or mudra driven. So I have this unique blend of Functional yoga therapy, so very, very good understanding of functional anatomy and how to move the body uh, in alignment, and then Ayurveda which is considered the sister science of yoga, which looks at your diet, your sleep, the herbs that you're intaking, the type of breathing that you need for your certain condition or time of life, looks at the seasons, are you eating seasonally? It looks at the stage of life that you're in. So it's this very personalized approach to healing and wellness, paired with like postural functional alignment, which is my other specialty. So in my yoga therapy sessions, like we can pretty much cover everything, you know, we're looking at, um, from, you know, your practices, from what you wake up in the morning and do your daily routines all the way to, you know, what do you do before you sleep? And I can bring in breath work and some postures for sure. Uh, mudras, different, you know, things you can do with your hands that direct energy, a lot of like affirmations as well, some inner child work. Like there's there's just so many different tools to pull from um with my particular
0: training. So there's like, would you say there's like an intuitive element to it, to what to offer up to somebody? Like you kind of tap into yourself?
1: Absolutely. And you have to be very clever about like who you're working with and the approach that you're taking with them. Because sure. one approach with one person might be the medicine and that same approach with somebody else would not work at, at all. So there's um, kind of a funny little phrase in Ayurveda that says with kapha people, so kapha people are more earth and water element people. They're a little bit stuck in the mud sometimes, but they're pretty grounded. And with those kinds of people, you're supposed to behave like a coach. So you're like, let's go, let's get up, let's move, right? Let's do rest. <laughs> And then with Pitta people who are fiery, ambitious, driven. Oh, <laughs> they have podcasts, right? Like they get shit done, yep, right? Yep. <laughs> if, you were, if you were that coach with them, they that wouldn't work. So you have to treat them like a peer. There has to be buy-in. There has mm. to be collaboration. They have to believe your credentials are worthy <laughs> of their time, right? And then with Vata people, Vata people are our creatives. They're air and space. They're flowy. They're fun, but they can also be forgetful, anxious, can't you know keep a calendar. They can kind of struggle with routine. So with Vata people, you can really be like a taskmaster. You can really be a little bit more um, demanding and controlling with them in a very like good way, of course.
0: Mm, Um, Yeah.
1: Give them more structure where if you did that with like a pitta fiery person, they would totally blow you off, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I never, I mean, I know the the doshas, but I hadn't heard it in like that practice kind of way. That's, that's really helpful. And I want to talk more about Ayurveda. Before mm-hmm. we do, outside of injury, outside of, you know, physical injury, what are people coming to you with? Like, what are they working on? Mm-hmm.
1: Great question. And it's always so exciting to see, you know, new client forms come through because there's just no repeats. Like, everybody is so unique. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people who are grieving a lost one a loved one, you know, and trying to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other each day. And how do I breathe? I've I've stopped breathing. I'm holding my breath. Um, I've had people with Mm. body image issues. I have um, eating disorder clients who are trying to be more in their body, trying to connect. I have... People who just genuinely want to know more about themselves through the Ayurveda lens. Um, They want to know more about yoga. I have one client who's been practicing yoga his whole life. But he was like, I want to go to that next level. I want to go deeper. Um, So it it can be anything, truly. I have people, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Um, Okay. Yeah, I get a lot of people who are like, I've tried everything. You know, I'm a, I'm kind of at the mm-hmm. end here. I've I've tried everything, and you know, I'm I'm open to, you know, something I don't even know about. You know, I've had that before too. People are like, I'm I got signed up for this by my spouse or my friend or whatever. I don't know what yoga is. I don't know what yoga therapy is. I don't know what Ayurveda is. Because at this point, you know, we just live in a world that's in a lot of pain, and um, that's true. You know, any I, I always find that even though I have all these yoga therapy tools to pull from. I think the most powerful medicine, at least in my toolbox, wasn't even something that was taught to me. It's sitting, undistracted, listening to somebody, holding space for them, asking questions. You don't have to fix. You don't have to cure. You don't have to heal. Just that powerful sitting with somebody, just that in and of itself, I see pretty dramatic effects happen for
0: people. And that's... Not something like you said that we, I mean, in the medical industry, yes, but like even in our day to day, I don't feel like we get to do that very often. Just like sit and listen to somebody. That's why I love podcasting, is because like that's all you're doing. It's just like we're having a focused conversation and like, and people, I'm sure, respond so beautifully to being heard and being seen for the first time. And I just like hadn't really thought of that when when thinking about yoga therapy. It's like okay, yeah, like just being with them and being present. You had talked anxiety and depression. You had mentioned that. Like, what? Obviously, every person is very individualized. But like, what might that session look like? What might somebody who is struggling with anxiety look like in a yoga therapy session?
1: Mm-hmm. So I usually approach it from the Ayurvedic perspective which is that mm-hmm. we live in this world that has too much vata energy, which is that air and space element to energy and air and space inherently lacks earth. And earth is what grounds us, what nourishes us, what calms us down. So if you have a phone, if you have a car, if you have children, if you have a job, if you live in a city, these are all things that aren't wrong, but they're inherently going to increase your air element. So more movement, more anxiety, more to think about more going on. So with that underlying assumption that everybody probably has excess air going on, then we get to look at your life from every angle, where can we infuse it with more earth element? And so you can think about this from like a super literal perspective, like I'm going to walk barefoot more often in the dirt, right? That's actually earth. Or I'm going to, you know, put my feet in the water this summer. That is getting close to the earth. It can also be a little bit more abstract, like I'm going to do more calming meditations versus climbing to the top of the mountain meditations. I'm gonna focus more on the downward current energy, the exhalation. We can look at the foods. Are you eating popcorn? That's all of that air element or root vegetables, mm. with ghee and turmeric, you know, like these really heavy, heavy foods. Um, we can look at it abstractly, like the people that you hang out with, or the types of work that you do. Is it super stimulating? Or are they people in jobs that have more of a calming, grounding effect? Um, so I I look at it through the lens of elements. And what's so beautiful to me about Ayurveda is nothing is ever demonized or deified. Mm. So we don't say anything is right or wrong. Um, It's all, it all depends. There's a phrase in Ayurveda that says anything can be a poison or a medicine, depending on who you give it to, what time of year, what they're going through, what geographical location they live in, what season of life or season of the weather is happening. Um, So we just, we want to look at things so specifically specifically to the individual.
0: I love all those tangible ones. And I know we're going to talk some seasons stuff. One other question about yoga therapy and like the different, um, I don't want to say ailments because that's not really what we're going for, but reasons why someone might seek out a yoga therapist. And you had mentioned on your website around fertility. And Mm -hmm. I feel like this is something I wish I would have found in my journey through fertility struggles and miscarriage. It's just like being kind of mad at my body during mm-hmm. that time. And like, is is that kind of why people might seek out a yoga therapist around fertility or like, what can you mm-hmm. speak to for that particular reason people come to you?
1: Absolutely. And that's a very important topic, particularly at Bluma, where I work. Um, yeah. Yeah. So- yeah, there, there can definitely be this feeling of like, my body has failed me. Um, a similar feeling, I work with people who are injured, they'll say like my bad knee, right, my bad shoulder. You can see that as well with um, infertility, right? Like my, my reproductive system is not serving me. Um, so it can be some very deep, very intense, very intuitive work to be done to befriend the body, when it's not behaving the way that you want to. And I also bring in ayurveda when I'm working with people who are dealing with infertility or you know miscarriages or anything around the reproductive system because from an ayurvedic perspective usually there's too much of that vata happening so that dryness, mm-hmm. that air, that space element within the body, along with too much fire element. So, especially as women, it can be really confusing to live in this world that is supposedly modern, where we're all trying to have these careers and work and you know be independent, amazing, strong women. Um, that's fire energy, which is great for you know getting to be this amazing career woman. However, fire energy is really hard on the body, and it zaps us of mm-hmm. our suppleness. Our softness, our oiliness, and during pregnancy, particularly from like an Ayurvedic perspective, um, from you know many centuries, like in India, this is a time of less, less doing, more insulation, um, more of that oiliness, more of those foods that are super dense and heavy and nourishing, and the Western world that we live in today just doesn't really support that, so we're seeing. From an Ayurvedic perspective, this massive uptick in infertility, which I believe is very, very in line with how overworked, overburdened, fatigued we are, without breaks,
0: you know, without that time to Mm -hmm. read. Totally agree. And this this was the first time I had ever worked with a postpartum doula, this with my Mm -hmm. third baby. And just that idea around like someone cooking for me and like helping bring in really nutrient dense foods and like heavy foods. And I know that there are specific doulas that like Specialize in Ayurvedic cooking, like that is. I mean, that's the future, right? Is like nourishing mama in these ways that are like very true to nature, and I I love that those worlds come together. And like obviously they have forever. We're just the, we're just realizing it now that like this is such a supportive way, prenatal and also postpartum. I love that.
1: Yeah, there's entire postpartum Ayurvedic doula trainings. Not in Minnesota, I don't believe, but in. You know, North Carolina, Asheville, and California—all the really cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is a huge, huge part of Ayurvedic health is the postpartum period. They take it very seriously to try to rebuild mm-hmm. the the mother with herbs and nature. Very, very nourishing food and doing less. You know, I see a lot of times that at Bluma, people are just knocking the door down to get back to their really intense workouts postpartum. And I understand, like, mentally wanting to do that and, like, kind of get back into your routine. But from a physical perspective, the body is, is in a time of deep, deep re nourishment needs. So to just continuously kind of deplete the
0: energy can be extra exhausting. Yeah. So important. So let's talk a little bit about the seasons and with with Ayurveda and with just like how we can honor I I first I just want to back up and say, like, I love the change of seasons. Like it's so nice for us to be like, okay, like we're gonna do some spring cleaning, we're like shifting gears. And you know, you have that feeling at the end of the summer where everything is just like kind of heavy and like really it's just like hot, and you're willing, you're excited for fall to come around. Like these are so good. And we're lucky that we live in Minnesota where we get to experience those. And from an Ayurvedic perspective, there's I don't want to say hack, but like that's kind of what it feels like ways to like hack it, to like embrace the seasons through your own practices on a day to day basis. So I don't even know. I don't know what we're in now, what we're transitioning to from like winter into spring. Can you talk a little bit about that particular transition?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Ayurveda, maybe I should just back up just a little bit too. Like the word Ayurveda means the science yeah. of or the science of life. Sometimes you see it the quest for longevity. And One of the main causes of illness, according to Ayurveda, is resisting or fighting the seasons. And this can be the season outside, right, the changing of the leaves and um, the temperature. It can also be resisting or fighting the season of life. If you're like, I'm not supposed to be 33, I'm supposed to be 20. That's also a way to create imbalance. Speaking to my soul. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's true. We see that as well. Um, So if you take that same kind of mentality into the seasons in Minnesota, I mean, I swear, like nobody can actually see each other here without talking about the weather. It's like our favorite pastime. And it's not usually (laughs) how great the weather is. It's this resisting or this fighting of it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be this cold in April. And what that does is creates an imbalance because it is this cold in april and if we accepted it if we said you know what it's cold today it's kind of you know dry it's kind of gloomy in ayurveda opposite spring balance so if i know it's cold kind of dry, kind of gloomy. I'm gonna bring in warmth. That could be physical warmth, like a sauna, a hot tub, um, a hot yoga class. It could be warmth in my spices, black pepper, cayenne. It could be um, warmth in my breathing practices, focusing more on like a inhale, Kapalabhati fire breathing, a bellows breath, um, just getting things circulating. And we are moving right now from winter season which is vata. It's that air space element into kapha, which is earth and water. And you see this, the snow is melting, there's some mud, there's some goo, right? It's just kind of like swampy out there. And so if we were mm-hmm. to continue our winter practices, all eating all the same foods that we ate throughout winter that worked really well for us, doing all the same, you know, physical practices and daily practices, if we take those and we just plop them into our spring routine, this is when, like you mentioned, you start seeing people kind of like, ooh, like, you know, the end of summer, the end of spring, or like seasonal changes, you see more like allergies, sickness, feelings of lethargy, stagnation. um, Because we're supposed to change with the seasons and you watch the animals, they don't get mad that it's not the middle of winter anymore, right? They're just going about their day, and they're going to eat whatever is in season right now. They're not getting mad that you know the the chestnuts aren't here all, all all year. But it can be really hard as you know Westerners to know what's in season. You go into the grocery store, and it's like, oh, I can get bananas all year round. I don't know when they're actually seasonal. Hmm. So unless you really want to get into Ayurveda, if you want to just keep it super simple, I tell people. Either get a CSA and get things from the farmer's market because then you don't have to think about what's in season. It'll just be provided for you. And you are Ayurvedic then if you're eating locally and seasonally. Uh, Otherwise, there's some hacks in grocery stores. Like whatever's in bulk and on sale is usually seasonal. You know, like when rhubarb comes in, it's like, okay, everybody get rhubarb, right? Uh, you can't it all year round. When the cherries like look really, really good, like that's when we should be eating them. But this obsession with being able to have the exact same thing all year round causes imbalances because we are not the same all year round. Our bodies are not the same. Our digestion is not the same. It changes with the seasons.
0: So... We know for winter you said that's more like heavy foods, that's warm, that's spices. What then is spring? I'm assuming we start to get a little lighter and then as we move into the summer it's like salads and stuff. But like spring's kind of in the middle. Is it a little bit of both, heavy and light?
1: Yeah. Spring actually has the most fun diet and practices because it has kind of that sludgy thing going on. The mud and the water and the earth can kind of just be heavy. And so in the spring, if you are going to have a little bit of coffee, I have coffee every day. That's still not something I can get over, but this would be the time to have it because it's drying up some of that you know, sledge from the winter. This is the time to have a little bit of that spicy food, not overdoing it. Um, This is the time for bitter greens, light greens, um, arugula, spicy greens, mustard greens, um, lighter salads. Ayurveda is not really big on raw food at any time of the year, but having, you know, some of those lighter greens that are easier to digest is okay in the spring. Um, so yeah, you still have things that are cooked, but they're just not heavy. Like we moved from stews and, you know, lots of rice and beans, like in the winter to maybe like a brothy soup and a, you know, a green soup with your immersion blender with some of your, um, fun spices and lemon and things are just on a little lighter side in the kappa season, that spring season. Mm -hmm.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. I love that. So then outside of food, are there things in the spring that we can do? I don't know. Like I feel like it's a cleansing time. Is that the vibe of the spring?
1: Yeah. So the theory goes that in the winter, your digestion is the strongest, thank goodness, because we need to stay warm. And when spring happens... It's melting outside. And also there's this kind of internal melting happening within us as well. And that's when you start seeing all this sinus stuff happening and congestion and allergies. So in the spring, we want to dry that up either with our foods, our herbs, our spices, and or with our movement. So this is the time to be a little bit more brisk. Mm. Like I teach yin yoga And you can make a case for yin yoga all year long, but if we were truly to use it therapeutically, we would apply it in the winter. These lower, grounding, steady postures close to the floor. Spring, I wouldn't recommend that as much. Spring is the time for sun salutations. Spring is the time for going for a brisk run or a brisk walk. Um, Doing maybe dry brushing versus oil massage, right? More of that lymph movement, Uh, moving your arms more. Your arms are connected to the kapha area of the body, which is the chest, the lungs, anything that can get kind of heavy and congested. So having actual arm movements, like in a sun salutation, this would be the time for that. Fun.
0: It's good. I'm like, it's making me excited. We do talk about weather so much here. And you're so right. It's like people were just like, oh, it's something to talk about and it's something to complain about. And I'm kind of just like, well, what did you expect? Like, it's literally, this is going to change seasons. And when we can embrace it through these practices, I just think it feels that much more special. And just, you know, this is something that's Mm -hmm. really good for us to embrace and change and grow. And like, we're different every year, every spring, we're different people. But these are kind of like grounding practices that bring us back to like, okay, renewal. We're bringing it back, mm-hmm. you know, through these very simple things. Do you have like any specific morning, Ayurvedic morning routines? I know, like I started um, tongue scraping in the last oh, couple of years and I'm like I'm obsessed. Like, What else do you like to do? Yes.
1: Oh, I do. I have quite the witchy situation every morning. <laughs> Um, so I get up and I check my pulse, which is in Ayurveda, it gives you a lot of information about like, which dosha, which constitution, whether it's that vata, that pitta or that kapha might be a little out of whack. So I'll kind of check in about mm-hmm. that. And then I get up and I scrape and examine my tongue, which for your listeners, scraping your tongue, it not only cleanses the tongue of anything that was pushed forward while your body was detoxing while you're sleeping, but it also is the beginning of your digestive tract. And so it gets your body ready to prepare to be hungry, especially if you have any kind of um, appetite issues, really important to scrape your tongue in the morning to kind of start that process. Then if it's an ideal morning I will oil pull, well, brush your teeth and then oil pull, which is this really, really nice way to nourish the gums and also has a whitening effect for the teeth and a lot more friendly for your mouth bacteria than like a mouthwash that kind of just kills everything off. Right. Um, and then sip warm water, especially if you're a coffee drinker. So then you are hydrated before you drink coffee. And I try to have, you know, a morning of coffee quiet and stillness. I don't have children. So I have that, <laughs> that luxury of a, a quieter <laughs> I, I still wake up like on purpose very early to have that quiet time because between 6am yeah. and 10am is considered to be kapha time of day, which is that earth element time of day. So this is a really good time for meditation. It's a really good time for reflection, journaling, focused work, because you're leaning into kind of that heaviness of the day. It's less erratic. And then I have a bunch of nighttime rituals too. And I've got all these different oils and herbs and tinctures and I make my own spice blends. I have a big industrial spice grinder that I make seasonal blends and sell them to my clients. So they don't have to like wonder which herbs they need to have each day. Just have their spice blend and then I switch it
0: out for the next season. It's very simple. <laughs> Can you tell, it describes specifically for people that don't know oil pulling, like what are the details? Like do you use coconut oil? And then like, how long do you do? I don't even know. I've never actually done it, but I want to. Yeah.
1: I think oil pulling got popular in like Shape Magazine and Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know. Like- right. Right.
0: No. Gwyneth.
1: There was, no, there was like no instruction manual and it was completely taken out of context. So then all these people were just taking like a spoonful of hard coconut oil and trying to like swish it around, which is pretty disgusting. Mm-hmm. I, I tried doing that and it's, it's a, it's a massive texture issue. So they have oil pulling oil that is much more palatable. I use Banyan botanicals and there's a little bit of mint in there and it's fractionated sesame oil. So it's always liquid. It's never going to be hard like coconut oil and you don't need much. It's like a teaspoon. And you swish it around in your mouth. You don't have to be like active the whole time. The ancient textbook says that you should oil pull until your eyes water. I've never done it that long. <laughs> I'll just do oh, it wow. for, like, five to 10 minutes or jump in the shower and I'll have it in my mouth. And um, you can just leave it there too. You don't have to be swishing the whole time. And you always want to make sure to spit it out in like a garbage can, not down your sink or down your drain.
0: Oh, it okay. Is-
1: Yeah. Word, word still out. If you can do it in compost, I've heard mixed reviews about that, but it's, it's not very much. It's so minimal. It's might be okay. Um, but oil pulling is really quite amazing. Like it is so good for your teeth. It is so good for your gums. Oil is the opposite of dry in Ayurveda. And this was a little bit hard for me to understand at first, because I thought the opposite of dry was wet, right? Opposite of dryness is it should be water, right? But the analogy that I use is if you had um, chapped lips and you went out into like a windy, dry day and you lick your lips momentarily, like they do feel better temporarily. But then what ends up happening the next time the gust of wind, Mm -hmm. they're drier. So water can actually have a drying effect. The opposite of dry is oil that actually creates a protective barrier around your skin that. The dryness can't penetrate anymore. So with that said, Ayurveda is huge on oiling everything. They oil the eyes, Mm -hmm. the nose, the mouth, the ears, any opening of the body, the skin. There are these elaborate rituals to do oil massage. So I'll try to do that a couple times a week, like a full body oil massage to ground the nervous system, take care of the skin. And those oils change based on the season you're in as well.
0: Okay, cool. I, I just use the same one. I always use jojoba, but that's good to know. What season for spring, like what oil would you use for the spring? So depending
1: on like your personal dosha or constitution, if you are already kind of like an oilier person, more of that kapha sort of person, that oil and water and earth, you might not even need oil. If you do, mm-hmm. it would be a lighter oil like safflower. Um, but a lot of times like kapha people – especially in the spring, they just don't even need it. And the way that you can check is if you put it on your skin and it doesn't absorb, if it's still just kind of like a slick of oil, you've either put on too much or your body just doesn't need it right now. Vata people, on the other hand, so Vata people are always dry, they're always cold, no matter what season they're in, they particularly struggle with the winter, they're probably going to need oil all year round. And it's pretty interesting. I actually had a a party with all of my friends here a couple weeks ago and we did, um, well, my kind of party, we did Abhyanga oil massage and then we did power yeah. of yin yoga. And I said to everyone, I was like, just look around the room. We all put on the same amount of oil onto our arms, but all of us looked different. Some people, it was already dry. Their skin had just drank it. So that would be considered more of like a Vata air person the pitta people they run hot they have reddish skin they have more of that fire so they don't need quite as much and then kapha people sometimes don't need much at all
0: how can listeners find out what dosha what constitution they are where do you where do you tell people to go
1: Yeah, Banyan Botanicals is a really nice company that does a really good job um, describing all that Ayurveda is. So they have a quiz that you can take on there. Um, I have a quiz whenever I work with people that I send over to them. One word of caution with the quiz that I'll say is just take it all with a grain of salt because it is a very short, you know, self-administered quiz that gives you a, you know, a decent idea like where to start. Um, But there's so much more that goes into it. Then, you know, a couple questions here and there to truly know your Ayurvedic constitution, you'd have to work with somebody and or like learn about, you know, pulse checking because that's how you really mm. know what you are. Um, but you can get a decent idea of what your current imbalance might be answering those
0: assessments. That's so cool. OK, back to your evening routine, because these are all so good. I'm just like filing them away for my dream list of like <laughs> morning routines. So Anything you like to do at night?
1: Yeah, I pretty consistently oil my feet and my hands. Um, if you aren't you know, worried about getting oil in your hair, the head is an area that responds really well to oil because this is where Vata energy, that air energy, is just leached out constantly, especially if you take hot showers. That's really not so great for your Vata. So having oil on the head, especially before you go to sleep, is really, really nice Um, this isn't Ayurvedic, but I've woven it into like all of my yoga therapy sessions. I also have gotten into the trend of, um, taping my mouth while I'm sleeping. Have you heard about mouth? Oh yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's made a pretty significant, um, change for me. And I do think it weaves really nicely into Ayurveda and yoga because so many people have issues breathing and issues with, Mm -hmm. you know, stress and how that shows up even when we're sleeping and the other thing this isn't necessarily an ayurvedic practice but i utilize this information daily is depending on when you wake up at night that tells you if you have an imbalance in a certain dosha so every four hours of the day the prevailing elements switch so for instance I mentioned 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. This is kapha, heavy, earth, water time of the day. So if we go to sleep, um, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., ideally we're asleep at this time because this is when the liver comes out and cleans. This is pitta time of night, fiery time of night. So we should really be asleep so our body can cleanse itself. If you're waking up, though, between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., that can tell you, like, hmm, I might have you know, some pitta going on right now. Tomorrow I'm going to do things that cool me off because I got got excess heat and fire going through the mind or the the body. If you have like a big deadline coming up, people usually wake up between 10 and two. More common though is between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. I hear this all the time, right? People like wake up at 3 a.m., 2 a.m. and they have anxiety. And the reason is between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m., air and space prevail. There is no earth element. This is the vata time of night. And so Mm -hmm. it's the lightest time of night. If we were not out of balance, this would still be the lightest time of night, but we would dream. We'd have these fantastical dreams, but it wouldn't wake us up. If we're waking up during that time of night, that just inherently tells me, okay, I've got a lot of air element. And tomorrow I'm gonna do things that aren't quite so aggravating. I'm going to have some heavy soup. I'm going to rub my body with oil. I'm going to call that friend who talks slowly. (laughs) I'm going to do my yin practice.
0: Oh, those are so good. And I love this because I work in astrology and these are all the elements and it's just in a different way, but it it carries mm. over so beautifully. And this is help making me think, so I got a PEMF mat, a PEMF mat for Christmas, um, which is like a, essentially it's like a grounding mat. Mm. And it, it uses infrared, but it's really just like crystals. It's kind of weird. But I sit on it before bed and like, it has made such a difference with my sleep because mm. I'm a very like very air, very fire, like all over the place. And to ground down before bed, because we can't get outside and walk around barefoot in the middle of winter. That's not really possible. This has been a really nice way. And like the way you're describing is just really validating. I'm like, oh, of course, like that makes sense. We're really balancing out the elements all the time, right? In all of our practices.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it can get really hard for people to go to sleep when we're, like you said, living in this world that's just like, da, 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 da. and then to try to go to sleep, you have to do something dramatic usually to go from up here to here. And that can mm-hmm. cause imbalance as well. So anything that's like super pendulum swinging one side to the other creates a Vata imbalance. So ideally, you're starting to think about sleep. Not going to sleep, but starting to think about the sleep process from like 6 p.m. onward. So there's this gentle decline mm-hmm. until you go to sleep versus what we see more often. You know, people are watching violent shows and they're on their phones and they're eating and they're running around like, and they're doing, you know, cardio at 8 p.m. and then hoping to be in bed at 10 and they, who could go to sleep at that time when you're that revved up? Mm-hmm. So then you have to do something dramatic, like taking a sleeping pill, right? Or, um, And that's just, it's just so hard over time on the system. So yeah, your mat sounds very interesting. I've heard about those. I've never used one,
0: but. Oh, I'm obsessed. I love it. It was like the best gift ever. <laughs> um, these are so good, Megan. I cannot wait to like, I like to I'm just visualizing some like little reels that we can put together all the fun things like people can do because they're simple but they make such a big difference. And that's what I always try to say about self-care is like these are not these do not have to be like, you know, huge hour-long morning routines. Like the things you described, really if you could do it in like 10-15 minutes and it makes the world of difference. Mm-hmm. If you were to give listeners just like one thing that they can do, and maybe we already described it, but like something that bubbles up to the top for spring to embrace that transition, to like embrace the sort of Ayurvedic, um, feeling the vibe of spring, what would you have them do? I would say for
1: spring, be okay with things changing in your life so gripping a little bit less to your routines and constantly doing check-ins like it doesn't mean that you change things overnight but every you know meal that you have every yoga class that you go to every you know thing that's on your calendar each week you can still do it but just take like 1 minute before or after said practice and be like is this still working for me in this season? We're not getting rid of it forever. It's not this you know, dramatic, I'm never gonna see that person again, or I'm never gonna (laughs) take that yoga class again because it's not working for me anymore. That's not this at all. These are all tools. So you just have to check in and be like, does this tool still serve me in this season? And you'll get, it's kinda like Christmas decorations. We don't leave them out all year, right? Like hopefully. but you still have them. So you just put them away knowing that like once the season changes, I can pull that thing out again or our spring clothes or our winter clothes. We're just putting it away and then, you know, bringing out what works this season. So just these little check-ins doesn't have to be some massive cleanse or detox or, you know, overhauling your life. It's just noticing, does this still feel good? Because a lot of times we just keep eating the same things that might've really worked well last season, but now it's like, Oh, Hmm. they don't feel the same.
0: Well said. Totally agree. I love that. It's a really good reminder. So do you work with people remotely? Like how can listeners get in touch with you? Can you tell us a little bit about your services? Absolutely. So I teach weekly
1: classes, about half of them are online as well. So people can zoom in for that. And that's a mix of yin and alignment vinyasa. And then I also see people privately for yoga therapy and Ayurveda. And that can be in person or online, particularly if you're most interested in Ayurveda, that can easily be done online. Some of the functional alignment uh, yoga that I do with people, that works best in person. But these Ayurvedic lifestyle tips and that can all be done online and we can go through your whole schedule and your you know, health history and find a plan that works really well for
0: each individual. Oh, so needed. And again, like with its transition in seasons and like people are, i you said it earlier, like we're just, we're struggling a little bit as, you know, as a culture, like we're not feeling good. I, I mean, I'm experiencing this too as in, I, health and wellness is my life. And it's just sometimes like you need a new tool in your toolbox. And I just like yoga therapy and Ayurveda, what a great combo. I love that. Well, thanks for your time, Megan. This was so cool. I learned so much. Thank you for all these good tips. Like i going to try some of these immediately (laughs) Yeah, rub your feet with oil oil pulling all of the good things like we're going to do them all
1: Um, yes use your spices have fun with them definitely can you tell listeners where they can find you yes i have a website www.meganfoleyyoga.com and that's megan m-e-g-h-a-n i'm also on instagram at megan foley yoga and teaching regular classes in Minneapolis in person and online as long as well as workshops and teacher trainings throughout the year. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Megan. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks so much for tuning in everyone. Thanks to Megan for sharing your gifts today. Check out her info in the show notes and remember that you can get $25 off your initial session when you mention this show. Thanks again, everybody. I will see you next week.